Sometime around 65 BCE, a merchant ship battled a storm off the Greek island of Aelia. Tempestuous waves crashed over the sides of the vessel as it desperately tried to reach safety. The few crew members on board scrambled to secure the ship's precious cargo. Antique statues, pottery, and glassware meant for trading. All except one. One sailor made no attempt to save the life-sized marble statues that filled the hold. Instead, they guarded a small box made of wood and metal. Though it didn't look like much, it was the single most important object on the ship. It contained a device made by one of the greatest minds in ancient Greece. In the right hands, it could unravel the secrets of the cosmos. Sensing the waves would overtake them, the captain yelled to abandon ship. Crew members jumped overboard, fighting through the waves to get ashore. The boat, taking on water and weighed down by the heavy statues, slid under the waves. For centuries, the shipwreck hid under the surface, slowly being broken down by the sea. But 2,000 years later, a miracle happened. The Antikythera mechanism resurfaced, and it changed everything we thought we knew about history. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our one-part episode on the Antikythera Mechanism, a mechanical contraption recovered from a shipwreck in 1900. Invented by the ancient Greeks, the two-millennia-old machine has puzzled experts for over 100 years. Today, we'll discuss the archaeologists who realized a calcified piece of metal was a groundbreaking historical artifact. And we'll follow generations of archaeologists investigating whether the device is a navigation aid, a calendar, or possibly an ancient computer. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the spring of 1900, nearly 2,000 years after the Aelia shipwreck, another storm blew through the Mediterranean. 
This time, it ruined a day of harvesting for a group of sponge divers. At the turn of the century, these divers gathered yellow porous living sponges from the ocean's floor. The sponges would be dried and used for a variety of purposes, including painting and cleaning. Sponge divers sailed through the Greek islands dressed in rubber suits and large brass helmets looking for a place to harvest. Captain Demetrius Kantos led this particular expedition. To avoid the storm, Kantos steered his vessel near a Greek island called Antikythera, formerly known as Aelia. While waiting for the weather to pass, his team searched for sponges in the waters close to the island. Shortly after they began, one diver surfaced and informed Captain Kantos he'd seen a glint of bronze. Kantos suited up to investigate. Sinking through the water, Kantos and the diver approached an unbelievable sight. The bones of a large ship, half eaten by mollusks, rested on the ocean floor. Fragments of seawater corroded bronze and urchin-covered marble lay scattered on the seabed. When the two divers surfaced with a life-sized human arm sculpture cast in bronze, the crew knew they had stumbled onto something incredible. They hadn't just found a shipwreck, they'd found sunken treasure. Kanto's first point of order was to alert the Greek government. He hoped he could convince authorities to hire his team for whatever excavation they planned. A telegraph operator on Antikythera sent an urgent message to Athens stating that a team of sponge divers had found a shipwreck full of treasure. Initially, Athens authorities ignored the missive. The story was so outlandish, they assumed the operator was drunk. But Kantos was undeterred. In November 1900, he traveled to Athens to meet with Spiridon Stais, the Greek Minister of Education. The captain appealed to Stice, asking for a government commission to salvage the sunken ship. Suspecting that Stice wouldn't hire his crew, Kantos lied about the shipwreck's location. He reasoned that if anyone wanted to find the sunken trove, they would need him. But this precaution wasn't necessary. The minister hired Kantos's team to excavate the wreck and provided them with a Greek Navy ship to help transport their findings. Beginning in November 1900, a team of sponge divers, archaeologists, and government officials pulled hundreds of artifacts from the water, and nobody could believe the condition they were in. In the first dives, Kantos and his team found a fully intact bronze head from a statue of an unknown philosopher. Later, they realized the arm Kantos found belonged to the same statue. Experts first determined the bronze pieces were from the Classical period, sometime between 510 BCE and 323 BCE. During this era, ancient Greeks melted down most of their bronze statues to recycle the metal. The intact figurines found with the Antikythera hoard were extremely valuable to understanding art in the Classical period. Other goods, like marble sculptures, also appeared to date back to the Classical period. Because of this, experts hypothesized the ship and its goods sank sometime during the 3rd or 4th century BCE. But once they looked beneath the sea life that masked the marble, archaeologists realized the pieces were imitations. They were actually from the Hellenistic period and dated from the 1st and 2nd century BCE. 
This meant the bronze statues aboard the ship were several decades old at the time of the wreck. By the time they sank, they were antiques. In December 1900, the Ministry of Education's Archaeological Service published an article with their findings. They estimated the shipwreck occurred in the first century BCE, which meant the ship had been sitting there for 2,000 years. According to the article, the archaeologists suspected the ship may have been owned by a Roman general named Sulla. In the first century BCE, Sulla famously conquered most of Greece and sent plundered treasures back to Rome. Around 200 CE, a famous Syrian writer noted that one of Sulla's ships filled with Greek goods sank in the mid-80s BCE. This fit the timeline for the ship that had been found. Furthermore, Sulla's shipwreck supposedly occurred near Cape Malaya, the southeast tip of Greece. Antikythera sits just south of that cape. It appeared that the Ministry of Education had found the lost ship of a famous Roman general. However, at the time, the connection was pure speculation. There was no hard evidence to prove that it was actually Sulla's ship. But they hoped they'd find more clarity hidden inside the ship. But as months went on, the excavation team grew restless. In the beginning, they'd found full bronze statues. But as time wore on, they only seemed to find shards of broken pottery. During the last weeks of the excavation in June 1901, divers brought up another unimpressive haul. Several newspapers published an account of the items, including pottery, vases, and, quote, one slab with inscriptions. This slab was about the size and shape of a shoebox covered in layers of gray, black, and green. After thousands of years on the seafloor, its metal front plate had become corroded by seawater and encrusted with hardened calcium. It looked more like a rock than an ancient treasure, but faint markings were visible under the grime. Rumor says the crew almost tossed it overboard because it didn't look important. But luckily, someone noticed a glint of metal and decided to keep it. The team brought all the items to the National Archaeological Museum in Athens for the long process of cleaning and restoration. On May 18, 1902, two years after the shipwreck's discovery, Stice visited the museum to see the artifacts. While browsing through the shipwreck collection, Stice paused at a group of metal fragments. It was the slab which had broken into three pieces, one large and two small. All the pieces were irregularly shaped and covered in green, yellow, and gray splotches where the metal had calcified. Stice squinted at one of the fragments. He could see ancient Greek letters hidden beneath the thick crust of grime. Examining another piece, Stice noticed what looked like a large gear on its surface. Peering closer, he saw similar wheels hiding underneath. Before he left the museum that day, Stice asked the archaeologist to re-examine the fragments. Though he didn't know it yet, this innocuous request kick-started one of the greatest archaeological mysteries of the modern age. Coming up, the slab stumps scientists. 
Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals, like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own, or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In 1902, Spiridon Stice noticed mechanical gears hidden in a slab recovered from the Antikythera shipwreck. When experts from the National Archaeological Museum of Athens took a closer look, they discovered the object contained a multitude of large and small gears. On some pieces, they could see large rings, which looked like some sort of ancient dials. Eventually, they realized the device had epicyclic gearing, which meant the teeth of each gear fit together. If someone spun one, they'd turn every connected gear. This was particularly amazing because historians thought first-century ancient Greeks had only invented singular wooden gears. They'd used them to lift building materials, haul water, and hoist anchors, but historians had never imagined they connected them with other gears. Until the Antikythera mechanism surfaced, the earliest known example of epicyclic gearing came from the 1400 CE, 1500 years after the shipwreck. Trying to find answers, the National Archaeological Museum invited ancient Greek language expert Adolf Wilhelm to examine the device. At the same time Wilhelm arrived at the museum, archaeologist Iwanis Voranos also showed up to investigate the piece. Sharing a lens, the two spent an entire day trying to identify the characters hidden underneath the layers of ocean grime. That evening, Wilhelm told reporters the inscriptions were likely from the 1st or 2nd century BCE. But Svaranos disagreed. He claimed the Greek character's style pointed to the 3rd or 4th century CE, 400 years after Wilhelm's estimate. Svaranos also announced that he knew the purpose of the mechanism. He believed it was a type of astrolabe. An astrolabe was an ancient mechanical device used to make astronomical measurements. These instruments, which were round and looked similar to modern compasses, used the sun and star's position to calculate distances. Ancient sailors used them to navigate by measuring the distance between the horizon and certain stars. Svranos claimed the piece looked similar to a specific type of astrolabe, an advanced design first seen in Europe in the 6th century CE. 
200 years after the ancient Greeks supposedly created this mechanism. Svaranos's claims attracted skeptics. They argued the fragments of the Antikythera mechanism appeared more complicated than an astrolabe. Svaranos agreed, but asserted the extra gears and large rings meant they'd simply found an incredibly sophisticated version. Svaranos believed the mechanism tracked not only the stars, but planets as well. One of the inscriptions on the device translated to Aphrodite, the ancient Greek name for the planet Venus, as well as the goddess of love. He thought the rings on the mechanism could be adjusted to align with the planets in the night sky. Many disagreed with Svaranos's claims. One day in the museum's courtyard, another archaeologist approached Svaranos and told him plainly his astrolabe theory was ridiculous. But most didn't think Svaranos's theory was wrong, so much as incomplete. For instance, astrolabes were typically gearless. Svaranos failed to explain how the system of gears on the Antikythera fragments fit into his hypothesis. Three years later, in 1905, ancient language expert Albert Rehm suggested Svaranos oversimplified what the mechanism could do. Rehm had just begun studying the device at the perfect time. A conservation expert had just cleaned the pieces, revealing more legible letters. The newly uncovered text indicated that the invention didn't just calculate distances. The ancient Greeks also used it for astrology. Rehm also noticed the Greek word pachan, which was the name of a month in the ancient Egyptian calendar. This was interesting to Reem because the Egyptian calendar followed the sun's motion. However, other translated inscriptions on the mechanism seemingly tracked the moon's phases. Reem asserted that the device followed the planets, zodiac constellations, weather, sun, and moon all at once. Around this time, some expressed disbelief that the ancient Greeks could create such a complex instrument. They thought the mechanism must have come from a more modern shipwreck. It just happened to be found with or near the Antikythera horde. To the naysayers, the biggest issue was that the relic was incomplete. Significant pieces presumably still sat on the seafloor. Without them, it would be impossible to prove whether Svaranos or Reem's hypotheses were correct. And with no one willing to dive down to the wreck, the investigation stalled. If the missing pieces slowed the Antikythera mechanism research, World War II halted it altogether. In 1940, 35 years after Rehm finished his work, Germany declared war on Greece. Athens National Archaeological Museum's curators jumped into action. Their country's history was at risk. Italian troops invaded Greece in October 1940, and by April 1941, German forces occupied Athens. The Nazis plundered many museums across Europe, and Greece was no different. Troops approached the National Archaeological Museum, where they planned to confiscate hundreds of historical treasures. To their surprise, they found only empty rooms. For several months, the museum's curators had buried all their artifacts. They packed items in boxes, placed them in the museum's basement, and filled the room with sand. 
They hid other precious antiques in the Bank of Greece's vaults. This precaution likely prevented disaster. Had the Germans been able to ransack the museum, thousands of historically significant artifacts would likely have been stolen or destroyed, including the Antikythera mechanism. When the Axis powers finally left Greece in October 1944, the curators dug out the items once more. The museum reopened again in 1947, though it took several more years to complete a full restoration. When the curators unearthed the Antikythera mechanism, they found that in the process of trying to save it, the ancient relic had sustained damage. Two plates with inscriptions had shattered. In 1958, 14 years after the war, Yale historian Derek DeSulla Price traveled to Athens to see the mechanism. He compared the older photographs of the fragments to the newly broken pieces and couldn't believe what he saw. One fragment had cracked open, only to reveal more mechanical elements hidden within the instrument. Previously, Experts had thought the pieces all fit together on one rectangular plane. Now, Price realized the mechanism was a rectangular box. It had a front, a back, and several levels within it, like floors inside a building. Price believed the artifact consisted of four layers of thin metal. Two layers fit together to form both the front and back faces of the device, with whirring gears in the center. He called the four metal planes the front door, the front dial, the back dial, and the back door. The front dial was large and had two spinning rings. Years earlier, Zvranos believed these rings were part of an astrolabe. But now, Price could read that the inner circle showed the zodiac, while the outer ring displayed months. Tiny holes wrapped around the dial between the two rings, indicating individual days. The back dial had two sets of rings, the upper dial had five, and the bottom had four. When fully assembled, the epicyclic gears in the middle would connect all the elements. This meant that if someone turned one of the rings on the front or back dial, all the other rings would spin as well. Price believed that with a hand crank, someone could give an input to the mechanism. First, they'd set one or several dials where they wanted. The gears would turn the other dials, and the instrument would deliver an output. In other words, the Antikythera mechanism operated like an analog computer. Price published his findings in 1959 in Scientific American. He called his essay an ancient Greek computer, and wrote that the ancient Greeks, right before their fall, had come incredibly close to modern technology. But even with this revelation, he still hadn't entirely demystified the Antikythera mechanism. Secrets still waited for him, buried deep inside the device. Coming up, a machine called Blade Runner cracks the mechanism's code. Now back to the story. After publishing a paper in 1959, Yale historian Derek DeSola Price continued to investigate the Antikythera mechanism. He believed its secrets lay in the device's inner workings. Many gears were still buried in the calcified fragments, preventing Price from studying them. 
so he decided to try a new technology to take a look. X-rays had existed for nearly a century, but Price was never able to secure the funding to use them on the mechanism, and he knew X-rays wouldn't guarantee him clear images. However, a brand new technology called gamma-ray radiography was allegedly far more effective for Price's purposes. So in 1971, he successfully petitioned the museum to fund gamma-ray imaging. These first-ever images of the mechanism astounded Price. They showed 27 gears hidden inside, all interconnected. Price could finally see each one, including where they connected, which was essential to understand how the device operated. If the mechanism was a math equation, these images essentially provided the basic formula Price needed. Now, he just needed to calculate. But unfortunately, he lacked the variables to make the equation work. He still couldn't read many of the ancient Greek inscriptions. So, he worked backwards. He counted the gear's teeth and marked ratios between connecting gears. For example, if one gear had 64 teeth and its secondary gears each had 38 teeth, that meant they had a 64-38 ratio. Price then searched to see if 6438 correlated with any sort of time cycle. For all he knew, he could be looking for an eclipse cycle or an ancient harvest season pattern, or really anything. And yet, working against the odds, Price made a breakthrough. He calculated that if the main gear revolved 19 times, its connecting gear would rotate 254 times. 254-19 was a near-perfect imitation of the metonic cycle. Ancient Greeks used the metonic cycle to see where the moon would appear. Every 235 lunar months, or 19 years, the moon will appear in the exact same phase, in the exact same place, in the sky. This meant that the ancient Greeks most likely used the Antikythera mechanism to track the moon's position. But this was only one relationship between two gears. Price believed the metonic cycle was just one of many cycles the device could track. And the gamma-ray images supported his hunch. Using these scans, Price deciphered more of the hidden inscriptions. He found that the front plate contained phrases like evening, Taurus begins to rise, and Arcturus sets in the morning. These related to the movement of the sun, stars, and zodiac constellations. Price realized that the ancient Greeks weren't just identifying lunar cycles. They mapped nearly every heavenly body in space. The backplate, though not as poetic, revealed equally exciting information. Instructions on how to use the mechanism. Price believed that the numbers and words like sun or ecliptic somehow explained how to use the Antikythera mechanism. He just needed to crack the code. In 1974, Price published his findings in a 70-page paper called Gears from the Greeks. He expected his results would land like a bomb in the classical Greece community. The sophisticated technology he described was thousands of years ahead of its time, Certainly, his paper would astound the world. Unfortunately for Price, gears from the Greeks didn't take modern society by storm. 
His work was reviewed and praised by those already within the community, but didn't make much of a splash beyond that. But Price did inspire action. Two years later, in 1976, famous French diver Jacques Cousteau explored the ancient shipwreck off of Antikythera. Cousteau didn't find any more parts of the relic, but he did find something unexpected. Human remains. 2,000-year-old bone fragments preserved amongst the wreckage. And the fragments told a story. One woman was on board and owned a pair of beautiful golden earrings, which indicated that she and whoever else was on this ship was likely wealthy. One passenger had ancient silver coins from Pergamon and Ephesus on their person. These were cities that sat along the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey across the Aegean Sea from Antikythera. Other victims carried bronze coins from the island of Sicily and Asia Minor. These coins indicated the ship was probably used by traders rather than Roman soldiers who plundered a Greek city. And the coins helped narrow down the date of the shipwreck. A study found they were minted between 76 and 67 BCE. Coins minted during this time would have been out of circulation within a couple of decades, meaning that the ship probably sank sometime shortly after 76 BCE. After Cousteau's discovery in 1976, the Antikythera mechanism laid dormant once again. Price finished his research with his 1974 paper and then passed away nine years later. But after he died, another scientist picked up where he left off. Michael T. Wright felt drawn to the Antikythera mechanism. He was a physicist and a curator of mechanical engineering at the British Science Museum, who also studied clockwork. Wright believed that the ancient Greeks' understanding of gearing was instrumental to today's technology. So it was only a matter of time until he stumbled upon Price's paper, Gears from the Greeks. Wright found several errors in how Price thought the mechanism worked. He believed Price added too many unnecessary steps, whereas the instrument's creator must have made it as simple as possible to use. To test his theory, Wright decided to build a replica of the Antikythera mechanism. Working with a partner, Alan Bromley, Wright took new x-rays of the fragments. The team made great progress. They discovered the back dial wasn't covered in groups of separate rings, as Price had suspected. Instead... They were actually two singular spirals. Wright and Bromley also found that some of the gears could calculate the monthly phases of the moon. But just as Wright was getting close to reconstructing the device, he and Bromley had a falling out in the early 1990s, and Bromley withheld his portion of the data, hoping to publish his findings on his own. This infuriated Wright, who had grown obsessed with this project. In fact, it nearly cost him his job at the Science Museum. And after spending all of his holidays in Athens with the fragments, his wife divorced him. Now, with Bromley refusing to speak to him, Wright's progress stalled. In the late 1990s, a few years after the X-rays, Bromley was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Wanting to reconnect, Wright flew to Sydney, Australia, to see his old partner. During the visit, Bromley gave Wright his data. 
But it was too late. A new research group was already doing their own x-rays on the Antikythera mechanism. Shut out by his partner, dismissed by his employer, and divorced from his wife, Wright felt demoralized. When the Antikythera Mechanism Research Project, or AMRP, made international headlines, he knew his chance to uncover the mysteries of the ancient device was gone. But his work wasn't for nothing. His earlier research provided the foundation for the AMRP. They found that Price's work from 1974 was impressively accurate for the technological limitations of his time. But whenever they ran into an issue, they found answers in Wright's more recent data. Though Wright felt edged out, his efforts were essential to the AMRP. In October of 2005, the AMRP team oversaw the arrival of an 8-ton, ultra-powerful X-ray machine called Blade Runner to the National Archaeological Museum in Athens. X-rays revealed over 3,000 Greek characters on layers buried deep within the Antikythera mechanism. They hoped that these new inscriptions might shed light on how to use the device. The Blade Runner scans also revealed more information about the mechanism's origins. In addition to lunar cycles, eclipses, and zodiac constellations, the device also tracked sporting events. The AMRP noted a calendar that seemingly aligned with the ancient Olympics, as well as other minor competitions and festivals. One festival correlated specifically to a Greek island called Rhodes. Some of the pottery on the Antikythera shipwreck also came from Rhodes. If the Antikythera mechanism came from Rhodes too, then they had a pretty good idea of who invented it. Hipparchus. Hipparchus was an ancient Greek astronomer and mathematician who lived in Rhodes. He provided the foundations for trigonometry and was fascinated by the orbits of the sun and the moon. No one knows when Hipparchus was born, but historians know he died in 127 BCE. If the ship wrecked sometime after 76 BCE, it's entirely possible Hipparchus's device, which would have been about 50 years old, could have been on board. Unfortunately, this is all speculation. The AMRP did not uncover any hard evidence linking the Antikythera mechanism to Hipparchus. But they did find the possibility helpful. They realized if they wanted to crack the device's code, they needed to think like an ancient Greek astronomer. One of the AMRP's members, classicist and professor Alexander Jones, explained this in his book, A Portable Cosmos. He said that while modern scientists see an eclipse, the color of the moon, and local weather as three different, unique, independent events, this was not the case for the ancient Greeks. Cycles were a large part of ancient Greek culture. Weather came and went. The sun rose and fell. Items were lost, then found. And the Greeks believed they were interconnected. Jones and the rest of the AMRP team began publishing their findings from the Blade Runner in Scientific American in 2006. While they had uncovered more images and information about the device, they still could not fully explain everything it could do. Jones said the Antikythera mechanism was the Greeks' attempt to, quote, 
gather a whole range of things that were part of the Greek experience of the cosmos, end quote. It was their way of making sense of their cyclical universe. At the end of their findings, author Tony Freeth noted that the answers to unlock the mechanism's secrets might still be stuck on the ocean floor off the coast of Antikythera. Without the rest of the pieces, no one could solve the puzzle. At least, that's what Freeth believed. Then, 15 years later, a breakthrough came from researchers at University College London. On March 12, 2021, the team announced that they had fully recreated the Antikythera mechanism's design on a computer. Using Wright's replica as a guide, the scientists made a complete digital model of the device. The next step, the team claimed, was to make a physical prototype. In the next few years, their goal is to combine modern techniques with ancient Greek methods to unravel the device's mysteries once and for all. For 121 years, people have lived and died trying to figure out the secrets of the Antikythera mechanism. But after many technological advancements and a century's worth of work, it appears answers may finally be just around the corner. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with a brand new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Kit Fitzgerald, with writing assistance by Molly Quinlan and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.